in terms of helping people, it would kill bad franchises so quickly. You you could not you, like a like grease lightning. They'd just be gone. They'd be wiped out. So this one is a great, interesting topic, which I know Jim's touched on a, a little bit about before, but we'll try and do this again with some more other questions and some stats thrown into it. So this is why do small businesses fail? So just some facts. The franchising sector is worth more than $180 billion to the Australian economy and the 97,000 franchise <coughs> businesses in, in Australia that actually employ close to 600,000 people. There's 2.1 million small businesses in Australia, 44% of total employment in small business, 5 million people. Uh, from the 600,000 600, franchise owners. 54,992 small businesses failed last financial year. And the Google search term small business peaks just before it's cr the Christmas holidays. So let's start off with the first question, which was why, does a why do businesses fail at such an alarming rate? Well, actually they don't. If you look at those statistics, yep. for example, um, we've got 2.1 small business in Australia and 54,000 failed. Now, actually, that is about one in 40. Mm. So that means to say, on average, you know, a small business might last for 40 years. Mm. That's not bad at all. It definitely isn't bad. So I'm just going up the notes of the producer here, which is why it's well, I, there. But that, that's, what, that's what I see about statistics. It's not actually a particularly terrible statistic. But let's rephrase this question. So let's say, like, obviously, the first year is the toughest year in business. So hmm. why do so many, we obviously know, if you if you get past that first year, obviously, and then the third, then the fourth, and the fifth, but why do so many businesses fail in that first year? Well, um, I can't speak with knowledge about retail business and others. What I can speak about is the service industry, which obviously we know very well. The best statistics we have is that between 90 and 95% of businesses fail in their first year. And this is official. If you look at the uh, Cleaning and Janitorial Service Association in America, which is an American body, and you have a look at their, their notes, they say 95% failure in the first year. Um, the main reason for that is, is simply that it's very difficult to get goodwill going in a hurry, to find customers. I have a, I have a good friend who's part of my Bible study group who, who was an electrician, and he's actually a supervisor. Um, so he's a, he's, a, he's a smart guy. He's got good ethics. He's, he's a great guy. He tried to start his own electrical business, just couldn't get it off the ground, couldn't get enough business to live in that intervening period. The lucky thing about me is that I started off because I was a student and I wasn't relying on it for my income. So I started off doing part-time gardening and gradually developed it. So over a period of like 12 years before I started my gardening business to going full-time, I knew what I was doing, had customer bases, all kinds of things like that. Mm. And the other thing, of course, is learning how to do it. So the principles of business is not easy. How do, you, how do you advertise the business? How do you look after customers? How do you do the job in an effective manner? So we start off people, when they're doing jobs, they're often very slow in the beginning. They don't know how to do it, but they have to be shown how to do that, to do it properly, pick up their speed and so forth. Mm. So, you know, there's a good reason. Even, even very good people can fail through no fault of their own just simply because of the, of the difficulties of those two things. Are you surprised at the number of the, um, how many actual... Let's say the franchises employ, uh, you know, 600,000 people out of the Australian, let's say, working economy are actually employed by franchises, which I think is a quite massive number. And it's worth $180 billion. Yet the regulation involved in franchising, which we have talked about before, is pretty it's, pathetic. It's just left so much to be desired. So yeah. let's talk about the traps of the actual franchising code. Obviously, the things, uh, retail food group we have mentioned before, Subway, Donomo's. Let's talk about that because it's such a massive industry. $180 billion is governed by this franchising code of conduct, right? And you know how frustrating that document is, yet we allow it to regulate or to be the main instrument there to govern behaviour mm. in our $180 billion 
Econ- well, uh, part well, of our economy. First of all, franchising is is a great system. It really is. It does things in a way the, the kind of services that we offer to householders you just could not offer it effectively in any other way. Big companies couldn't do it. They do. They're too different. A big company. Just take Lomang as an example. If you've got a a big huge complex that that with with a contract that's going to cost you know two hundred thousand dollars a year to look after. Having a team of workers run by a big company would make some kind of sense. But when you're talking about individual households where your typical lawnmower job might be 50 bucks, it's just no possible conceivable way to do it. So small business is, is totally in its element. The thing about franchising is that it's, it's phenomenally useful in doing the two things that make businesses fail. The first is obviously to provide clients and the second is to provide the training and the expertise and not just upfront but ongoing. Which is why, against the figure of 90 to 95% failure, our first year failure in gyms franchises across the board is, is currently 11%. In other years, it's like 10.5%, but it's always around about that figure, which is a fraction. And that's because of those two simple things. Plus the fact that we're a bit selective. We do tend to knock people out who, who shouldn't be in a franchise in the first place. So franchising is, is a great concept. And you look at something like the fast food industry in McDonald's, which is a company I admire enormously not for the food but for the business structure they, they do it very very well they provide good support good training consistency they're innovative within a structured environment they have fantastic training systems for for staff i would be delighted if my kids wanted to go and work at mcdonald's to get to learn about how to how to how to succeed in in the workforce they, they do remarkable things with teenagers they put them into positions of leadership and so forth they do i worked at mcdonald's when i was younger it's they're really good training yeah. Trying stop much. Yeah, I enormously respect. So a good franchise is 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 fantastically useful. The, the the weaknesses in the franchising industry is simply that it's it's run by franchisors for franchisors. And it's one area where the government should absolutely take a a greater role. And the thing like I've talked about these things in the past, but but very simple things like giving franchisees a veto over changes to their own manuals, which we do at gyms quite mm. routinely, and it works fine. We just had a, a referendum um, last week that came back and they actually knocked back one. We put three clauses out, three proposals out there. They accepted two, knocked back one. Mm. Um, but it wasn't by, we only got about 40% respond, but the majority of those who responded said, no, we don't like this. So we, we took it out. That's one very big change. Automatic right of renewal at the end of a franchise. You can't get kicked out. Why should you be if you're, if you're compliant? Um, controls against having rack-rented extortion. They can, they can put the they can put the the, the franchise org control the, the 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 head lease, and they can put the, the 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 rates up way past the rate of inflation or the rate of property increase or anything or market rates. They can just do whatever they like. Mm. They can force people to buy equipment and stuff at ridiculous prices. They can they can do appalling things. The kind of protections that we have in gyms, if you made those legal. And they work very well for us. And I think it's one of the reasons we have been successful because we do protect our franchisees. I think actually it would be great for the industry as a whole. Mm. But it, it, but every time they do those inquiries, like in every couple of years they do it, and you do your submission, you never, never get, nothing gets ever implemented. And what I find very funny is they take these submissions from companies I've never even heard of, although a lawyer, lawyer group employed on someone who's got hardly any franchisees, whatever, and they do a massive long-winded submission and they get all these recommendations but nothing ever gets put in place. So well, they, they, do, they, do, they do make changes, but they're changes that have no impact effectively on the people that are actually being ripped off. What they do is they get 
complicated legal documents. They need to put a disclosure document together. Now, this is a typical thing that they do. Why is a disclosure document good? Because it provides, it's, it's, it's a rampant feeding trough for lawyers. They love disclosure documents. My own lawyer, in-house lawyer, who's got 12 years of experience in the franchising industry, says she would struggle to understand the disclosure document. How on earth, if she's struggling, can somebody who's not tutored in in in, bus- yeah. in in business law possibly make any sense of these things? So, for anyone watching, the disclosure documents what provided with the franchise agreement will be a disclosure right. document, and it basically has you know all previous franchisees, all current franchisees, blah 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 blah. And it's a massively long-winded document. Ninety-nine percent of people don't don't even read them. They don't read. Definitely don't read them. They no. have no effect at all, except they're they're they they they're, they're worth billions to the to the legal industry. And then when things go wrong, they say, "Well, hang on." Then you read the disclosure document, right? Exactly. And that's what generally is always said. I mean, who even reads contracts? You get it all the time on, on, online. You get this massive page, you know, like a 50-page agreement about something. Who reads that? Mm. Who ever reads anything like that? I don't read them. And I'm better versed in the law than most non-lawyers. So it's, it's, it's crazy what they do. They just, they just don't see it from the point of view of a franchisee. They think of it from the point of view of lawyers battling in court. But if you get to the courts with lawyers, you've already lost. Everybody's lost. Mm. Because because the the legal system is so atrociously complicated, there should be simple ways of doing it. One of the things I mentioned for year after year after year, I said to these inquiries, I said the simplest thing you should do is you should, at the expense of the franchisor, you should interview every franchisee you can get onto every year and put them into a document and make it available to anybody who wants to buy a franchise. I said that one simple thing. Now, I know it would not, not bring billions of dollars to the legal industry, the financial advisors, all those other parasites. It wouldn't help them one little <laughs> tiny scrap. But in terms of helping people, it would kill bad franchises so quickly. You, you could not, you, like, a, like grease lightning, they'd just be gone. They'd be wiped out. And the quality ones would have a chance to grow and help people. And everybody would know that if you rip off a franchisee next year, your survey is going to come like black. It's going to hurt you badly. And you would do everything possible to protect them. Now, this is a really simple, cheap system. Would they think about it? No. Mm. But all this garbage with these disclosure documents and all this legalisms and stuff, yes, we'll have as much of that as possible. Mm. Uh, it's quite frustrating because we obviously, we obviously in Jim's if anyone's thinking about buying a franchise, we obviously say call the franchisees, call former franchisees mm. even in that area. We, I remember, we did a video with one guy, I think he spoke to 13 or 12. He spoke, to, he spoke to 12. He had to speak to 12 people, which is great, before he made that decision. The only good thing the franchising code has done is, is um, in my view, is actually required franchisors to give a list of current franchisees. Yeah, and, oh, that's, 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 and that's, and that's valuable and that's useful if you do it because it wasn't the case in the past. We used to do it. I did it from the very beginning of gyms. I've always done that. Mm. And, and we used that as a sales tool. But I always tell people, if you're going to buy a franchise, check it out. But the fact is, not everybody does. And if they do, they don't, they don't study it carefully enough. But a, but a clear survey. And I have said this to so many. I, I, I know they get sick of me and they just completely ignore it. They don't even mention what I say. They, yeah. they just couldn't give us stuff because it's not what franchisors on the whole want. Well, do you think the barrier, do you, th- oh, do you think the barrier to, is too low for people just wanting to start a franchise? Now, so, for example, you have an existing business, whatever it may be, right? Let's say Jim's watching McCall's or whatever. You can just go and go get some contracts drawn up and then all of a sudden you can start franchising. Yeah, Do you no, think the barrier is too low? No, I, I don't. Because the trouble is if you put things in place, what you're going to have is bureaucratic, legalistic guidelines. You have to go through a whole thing. They have to do some, some get some consultant and pay the half a million dollars to go through this complex bureaucratic procedure, none of which has got anything to do with whether you look after your franchises or not. All you do is cut down the competition in the industry. I would be dead against that. 
Anybody should be able to launch a franchise system, but they should be monitored. Let people, people are not stupid. If they look at a franchise system and they see the fact that two thirds people are unhappy with it, they're not going to buy it. You don't need, you don't need to spend a half million dollars. The trouble is you can, you can do all the bureaucracy in the world you like, but it doesn't actually have anything to do with the real performance of the thing. It's like, it's like these, these laws that says you've got to have a lawyer look at the contract. Well, yeah, okay, but what's the lawyer going to do? Because for a start, they're not going to change the contract. Nobody ever does. Um, and they're all much the same, except Jim's contracts, which are a lot better. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, the kind of contract that you have has almost nothing to do with how good you are as a franchisor. And I know that within Jim's. Most of our franchisees, franchisors are pretty good in terms of support. Some of them are absolutely brilliant. And there's a few that I wouldn't buy a franchise of. They always the same contract. Mm. Now, these are the ones we tend to breach and push out. But in the meantime, they're still able to sell franchises. So even with my own company, I can tell you it doesn't, the contract itself doesn't tell you what you need to know. It's the actual support. And what we do in gyms is we do what I say everybody should do. We actually interview our franchises every year. We do a survey. We get 90% to respond and we make that public. Mm. But we, I think it's quite interesting, aggregating results and having them like a lot of an online sort of like, let's say, choice or, you know, those sort of online review places and having each franchise system there, they could go in there and type in the one and they could see how it's rated from one to whatever for basically, you know, support, let's say, communication, all that sort of stuff, which I think is quite a good idea. And what frustrates me, though, is that all these cancels and these regulatory bodies in the franchising space, whenever you look at who's on those bodies... It's always from franchise systems that I've never heard of. They've probably got less than 10 franchisees, five franchisees, and they're in these all high-important regulatory mm. advisory positions, and uh, they seem to be representative of an industry, which is quite frustrating because ones, let's say, like Jim's, obviously the largest home service in Australia, or you have big ones, let's say, like McDonald's or whatever, you never see them anything to do with these sort of industry associations, which I find quite frustrating. And if there is a dispute between a franchisee and a franchise, or that process itself, as you would know, it's very, very... Uh, against the franchisee and if you've put all your hundreds of thousands of dollars let's say into a retail based one yeah you I just, know. You just you just start it's shocking when they try and take them on legally there's there's, there's no recourse and there should be there mm. should be there should be simple ways that are affordable for people to have a go at franchisors who've, who've deceived them or done the wrong thing mm. well i think the uh, the retail based one's a problem you know the, the the traps of the franchise that we had down here is a question like retail food groups one that you always mention with what happens there which is just but there there've been some there've been some extraordinary rip-offs in in the service industry too. I'm not going to mention names mm. in particular, but there was one particular Queensland one which is I think almost disappeared now. Oh uh, yeah, I haven't was, seen them. No, they've gone. I think. Yeah. Which is which was simply I will say the name is Express. Yeah, they made they'll set to make a quick buck basically. Yeah, and and it, and it was a complete and utter fraud, and 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 where's the marketplace to do with that kind of stuff? Mm. And I know they got a lot of people involved. They just it just heaps because it was ten thousand dollars. So they were selling. They were promoting. Yeah. Their, their point of difference was basically they spent a lot of marketing. I don't know where they got that money from. They were pretty good with you know using FB ads or whatever. But it was always ten k. You know, 10K business, 10K business. And the end of it was nothing. And the end of it was nothing. And the only thing is the type of person that would go for that because based on price is the you know, is the most vulnerable person, right? And who hadn't done their research. Correct. They won't do their research because they're sold by a salesman. The salesman on the phone, really good, blah, 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 blah. Oh, don't worry about that. Just some documents, sign them off and away we go. Yeah. Ends in disaster. And um, it's, it's, it's very concerning. So what, what are some safety guards do, does franchising have over an independent small business now these days, in your opinion? Well, a, a I mean, a, a good franchise is simply a, a great way of getting into business. Your, your chance of success are overwhelmingly greater. They, they simply are. The, the difference between the 90 to 95% failure and the 11%, and that's quite reasonable. I, I know that because I know people who've tried it by themselves. Mm. 
back in the early days of, of gyms, we had one um, one um, one of our girls in the office, uh, Karen Gilliatt, had a husband who actually decided to buy a franchise, and his friend said, "No, don't get into franchise. You know, go independent. Why would you waste your money?" Well, Andrew fortunately ignored his advice and did, and the other guy spent the same amount of money on equipment. Um, Andrew succeeded and didn't have a The other guy failed. Mm. He just he just he just didn't. Franchising is franchising done properly is a very very good system, and on the whole, mostly it works fine. Mm. It's just that there's not enough protection against the people who do the wrong thing. Uh, you're quite right. So, and the comment I always see on socials, which I've mentioned before, is basically why pay the franchise or why give Jim all this money, all that sort of stuff, right? Which is the common, which is the common mentality that I think that people who don't know franchising. They have that. They think you're just paying fees to someone else to make them rich and you're poor which is definitely not the case. So maybe you want to explain real quickly about how the fees, let's say, in gyms work. Not exactly go into it too much, but in general, how does it operate? It's obviously not you getting all that money, so when the fee goes every month from the franchisee, no. how does it all work? Well, typical franchise, you probably pays about 700 a month, of which a bit less than half would actually go to the franchisor. And that pays for things like the fact that the franchisor is there to answer calls. 24-7 support, we know from most of them. Yeah. Run meetings, ring the franchisee regularly, help with technical issues, maybe go and inspect jobs, a whole range of different things that they, that they do to support the franchisee. And it's actually the, the main reason why franchisees succeed is because of all the stuff. Plus they run the advertising yeah. and, and work to keep them busy. And, and they have a very strong incentive to keep their franchises happy, especially in gyms because they can, they can be voted out and people can change regions mm. and all kinds of things. So that's where... Just under half the money goes. We pay the call centre. That's a fair chunk coming out. And, of course, that's expensive because it's run in a way that's, that's not, not commercial. We don't, we don't put it offshore to, to the Philippines. Um, we don't undermand. People are waiting online. We have it so it's in Australia with people who are well paid and we have very, very good staffing levels so people don't have to wait. So it's expensive to do it that way. Then you have a chunk of money goes into advertising, of course, to keep mm. them busy. And then you have odd things like the technology fee and um, branding fee and things like that. Mm. A, few, a few other odd charges. But regardless of what are expensive, yeah, it's very minimal, especially with the advertising, for example. If you're trying to be an independent business now and go and do a, a digital marketing campaign, good luck finding a digital advertiser who will touch you for less than, let's say, a grand spend a month. And out of that grand spend, you've probably got $600 going to management fee, consultants fee, right? Mm. So it's very, very hard and you've got to hustle hard. I think another thing about a franchise is just when we talk to a lot of people who are in it, it's the support and they feel as though they're part of a family. Now, for example, we had Jim's Handyman, he was doing a HIA certificate for in building construction here, of course. So you had, I think it was around 15 business owners twice a week getting together. You know what I mean? Some of those blokes might not have a social, not saying they have a social life, but that social aspect for them was really, really important. You hear it from franchisees. A lot of them team up in buddies of two or three and they might meet, meet at the Bunnings or something like that and get a snag and do some, go look for some gear and stuff like that. They have that support in business, whereas if you're alone mm. and something goes wrong, who do you turn to? Yeah, that's right. Well, look, it's a valuable service. What I say is average, our average fee, so for franchisees making 100000 a year, which is probably fairly average, we think, um, of that, roughly about um, eight thousand dollars would go to the franchisor, mm. who would and they'll pay for things like advertising and support and call center and everything else. And of that, um, eight hundred dollars a week, something like um, twelve dollars would come to us. Only twelve bucks. It's not much. 
Yeah, there we go. So everyone online always says that. It's quite frustrating because I know how that works. I just want to get that out there for everyone because people think they say the same thing. Why make a franchise all rich? You know, why give all your money to head office? You know, go mm. keep it for yourself. But if that was the case, everyone would be doing it, right? Wouldn't they be? And that, that's what it comes down to. And I think the model with us as well, which is a, I'm not trying to advertise it, but it's a flat fee, which I think is very unique. It's plus, plus the lead fee. And the lead fee as well. So, but flat fee, right? So if someone is earning 100 grand, someone maybe is earning 500 grand, they essentially could pay, depending on lead fees and whatever else, but they could pay essentially the same yeah. yearly fee. Well, some our top franchises would be paid in the millions. Yes. The millions of dollars a year, and they still pay probably $10,000 a year. The other thing too about us, and this is what I always say, is that just by merely being gyms and putting this this badge on, you can raise your prices ten percent because that's the comfort factor. Mm. So in fact, which is which is less than what most people franchisees pay in fees. But in building that for customers, just so if a customer is watching, is that the, the gyms work guarantee? Mm. So if something does go wrong, and actually Jim himself does personally get involved on a daily basis with complaints. Yep. So you have that in there. So no risk of having a cowboy come to your home and smash something, and you can't get a hold of them all of a sudden. Or people put money down on, on, a, on a job that doesn't get done. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, and, we, and, we, and we make it up. We'll chase the franchisee. If they're gone, we, mm. we'll simply make it up out of what we call a warranty And that's fund. a massive yeah. external problem all the time for people paying trades. And, and then things like thing. police checking and so forth too. You know who's coming to your house has been, has been checked to some extent. Yeah. And fully insured as well because we have an insurance. on-site insurance yeah. brokerage. So they're all in there. So To me, it seems a fantastic deal. I don't know why anybody would go. Yeah, I just think it's funny. I, I, I just think, look, I think... The typical Australian, there's an us against the men mentality. And the reason why I say this is because we had, when we had you go, you had a current affair story where you went on a current affair and you had all these people going, oh, Jim's in my area, they take away all my local business or why well, pays fees to someone else or I'm a struggling little business owner, I don't want big gyms coming in there and taking this. People also need to remember that the franchisees are actually local business owners. They're not from a big conglomerate. They do have the gyms brand, but at the end of the day, they are a local business in there who just choose to use the franchise and the brand name to help elevate their business and get them ahead or maybe the typical independent bloke starting from scratch. But I just think it's a jealousy mentality too as well. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not trying to poke fun at some of the other let's say if you're an independent business, there's a lot there's obviously a lot that are very successful. But the bloke who's there thinking it's okay to charge, let's say, twenty bucks for a lawn then get cracks it because the gym guy comes in and gets fifty dollars a lawn and is professional and rocks up in a in his suit and all that sort of mm. stuff. It, Mind you, some independents don't mind us because we do tend to put the prices up. Yeah, well it does fall if it does help them, doesn't it? So it does help yeah. in a way. Look, I, I had a friend who had a windscreen business, actually, and he was telling me how, how good it was that he could keep all his money himself and not have to pay any franchise suits or anything. But, but 25% of his income went in advertising. There we go. Well, that, that, that's, that's, that's one aspect of the thing, right? And purely just doing it on advertising alone, I, I think the average, the average advertising levy is around 100 let's say, 160 to $200, depending on a division, right? A month. Usually a bit less than that, but yes. Yeah, usually it can be. Well, it depends on the division. I know some divisions are a little bit higher because it might be harder to like, generate. Like, a, like, like something like um, antennas. Yes, correct. It might but be. I, I think mowing and cleaning is mostly about 140, 150, some of that. But even purely, for, and that's but purely from an advertising you know, benefit, just for a business let alone. Like if you're a current business struggling, people just think you, you don't have to be, You can if, if you want to come to gyms, you can have an existing business and basically use gyms to take to your next level and just take away the marketing thing mm. for your own for your own sake. I know one of the things people do say to us sometimes is the reason they want to be independent is because they want to have a business that grows without limit. Um, and whereas in a franchise, you're constrained. But yeah. in actual fact, it's quite the opposite. It's far more likely for gyms franchisees to put workers on because it's so easy to get extra work. You just have to turn yourself on for work in the season and your work comes flooding in. And then if you lose your worker, you just turn the work off. That's true. A good example of that is Dan Cale, who is 26 and he hasn't turned leads off since he started two years ago. So I think he's taken like 700 leads or something now and he's just scaled his business up to have 
four or three workers with him full time. So you're not, and you could go to more, couldn't you? There's never. What's the, well? Let's say this is a question for you. What's the largest business you have heard of in gyms as a franchisee level? Oh, I don't know the exact number, but I do know certain certain franchisees are turning over in the millions. What, but what about an operational side in terms of numbers of employees? Do you have I any rough know. idea? But it's, but you do say there's some currently that are turning over millions. Millions, yeah. Right. I, know, I heard about a guy in New South in New South Wales in Sydney who was doing two million dollars a year. What service was that in? Mowing. In mowing. So Jim's mowing franchisee is turning over two million dollars a year. Well, that's what I was told. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, what other services? I think most services. Well, what services could be conducive to that sort of level if you wanted to really push yourself business wise? Well, fencing would be another good one. Yeah. Fencing would be a particularly good one because the there's so much work around, and because also the jobs tend to be fairly large. So it's a great one to have a team of workers on the site. So you could have somebody go around, does the quote, organise the workers. They go in, they come and inspect it, make sure the job is correct, and and but go off and they can they could travel around. I'm I'm surprised that. Our biggest franchisees aren't actually there aren't there aren't some multi-million dollar fencing franchises around. Every time somebody comes to training, I talk to fencing. I say, put on workers, build teams. Well, it's a different skill set, isn't it? Though, because the actual doing the fencing, they might like doing that, but actually running the business outside of it, where you're you can always find that. some people who've got those kinds of abilities. You can. And you it's a, it's a great it's a great way to start. I think if becoming wealthy in this day and age, I cannot think of a better opportunity than somebody than the service industry. I think it's just brilliant. Somebody appeared to work with their hands and. Learn the, learn the job from the basics and then grow from there. Mm. And we had one guy, I remember from Jim's Live Watch, around eight weeks in a row, and he was thinking about a guy called Polozoi um, in Western, in Western uh, Melbourne for fencing. He took like 67 leads in his first two weeks, which he shouldn't do because we know there's no way he could actually They do tend to get do all that flooded work. sometimes. And... However, we're just saying that, you know, he was wrapped, you know, he's like going, we make all these, well, we see this stuff online, Jim's got leads from ready to go, 180,000 unserviced leads. It's all true. If you don't believe us, you know, unserviced lead report you can get from a franchisor as well, which I recommend if you are that. And it's not just people who want to get out of the rat race. It's also if you're going to establish business in that area and you want to look at it to expand, just take away maybe even the marketing hassle, which is something we can do. Mm. Doesn't happen a lot, but it should. It should happen more, and we hope it does happen more because the work is there. And we need. Well, people. I spoke. There was a guy I was talking to at the last training. I, I was having dinner with him, and, and he was a. He'd actually got what we call Jim's Plus Lead, which was overflow leads. Yes. And he said they're so good that he actually decided to come in and do bit Jim's himself. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which division was that? And Tennyson. Ah, oh, well, good on him. Yeah. That was that was the plan, wasn't it? That was the, that's the plan of it. So that's really good to hear. We would like to draw quality independence in the gyms if we could and show them the advantages. Absolutely. I think from a marketing point of view, if you're an independent business and you're paying all that money for, for Google AdWords a month or whatever, literally it's a, the gyms free is a fraction of what you're It sounds paying. like a great idea. It doesn't happen very much in practice. Usually people who come to gyms come from the beginning. That's true. But however, if you are existing, please know if you are watching this on the off chance that come in, it's all come to the training and take away that headache off the marketing and all that sort of stuff and, and help accelerate your business. So... We'll leave that there this week, Jim, so thanks for that. If you are liking these episodes, please let us know on social media and subscribe to us and leave us a rating in the iTunes store.